Hello, and welcome back to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. Today's guest is Deborah Kaler, the president of Sage Partners, a multifamily residential real estate development company based here in Tampa, Florida, that she founded with Todd Turner in 2007. Sage's primary mission is to offer innovative approaches to the development and preservation of affordable housing, capitalizing on the broad experience of its principles in this arena. Sage has rehabilitated 585 senior affordable housing units in the Tampa Bay region and developed 120 workforce housing units in downtown Tampa. Deborah is a 35-year veteran of real estate development. She was a partner and senior vice president at the Wilson Company, a full-service real estate development company that was based in Tampa, Florida, where during her 17-year tenure, she was responsible for successfully developing over two and a half million square feet of office and hotel space in over 9,400 affordable multifamily units in 34 communities throughout the state of Florida. She's been involved in over 100 real estate financing transactions. In conjunction with her development activities, she was responsible for also raising over $500 million through the sale of affordable housing tax credits, an additional $450 million through the sale of tax-exempt municipal bonds, and over $300 million in conventional project financing. I am so excited to have you here today, Deborah. Welcome to She's Wild. Hi, welcome back to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. Today's guest is Deborah Kaler, the president of Sage Partners, a multifamily residential real estate development company based right here in Tampa, Florida. Deborah, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You are um, quite a visionary in your own right and a woman that I personally have looked up to in my career as somebody who has done it right in her career. And I'm happy to have you here and to have you share your story and tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are today and all the you know stories along the way. So to get jumping right in, I would love for you just to tell us a little bit more about kind of your background and how you got into real estate and what you're doing now at Sage Partners. Okay. I would love to share that because it kind of is varied on how I got from there to here. And uh, I'll just start with, I grew up in a very, very rural, small town in um, rural Virginia and wanted to be a veterinarian all my life from, you know, when I was a child and worked at a veterinarian. And so I said, well, there's only one veterinarian school in Virginia and that's Virginia Tech. And that's where I went. And after a year of realizing where are all the cats and dogs in this program? And they go, oh, no, no, you're a large animal. And I mean, I. And wasn't a farm her. So I literally said, hmm, I'm good at math. I'm going to change to accounting. And that is the only thought I had in that change to my career. But I will tell you, I was very fortunate because we got an accounting degree, became a CPA and absolutely loved it. And I really feel like that base has really helped me even in the business we have today. So I feel very fortunate that uh, I became an accounting major. And I always tell people you should become an accounting major because it really gives you a lot of options. So, uh, so majored in accounting, uh, worked, uh, at KPMG, uh, in Tampa 
an audit. And then in 1986, I got a call to join the Wilson Company. And I did not want to leave public accounting. I wanted to be the first female partner in Tampa and all those things that we had, those aspirations. But I met Jack Wilson and the rest is history. I joined the Wilson Company and uh, was there for 17 years and great mentor. And for those of you who have never had the opportunity to meet Jack when he was here with us, uh, he was a great individual and a great mentor for me. So when you were, so tell me a little bit more about what you did at the Wilson Company. I, I read your bio, our portion of it. It's pretty remarkable. But you tell me your version of that. Well, I think uh, the interesting thing is actually, I guess I said 85. It, I joined in 87 because the 86 Tax Act, that's how I remember now. Wow. 86 Tax Act had just passed and really didn't honestly have a clue of what that was about to do to the real estate industry. Uh, I learned really, really fast because that became the RTC days. And so when I joined, I joined as an accountant and I was in their accounting department and realized real quickly that it's a small company and you were literally whatever that day they needed done, I, I did it. So I uh, jumped into really the finance and reworking several of the loans that we had uh, at the time. And then I got involved. They had just opened the Hyatt next door, the Grand Hyatt. And they said, we need an owner's rep. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but yeah, okay, I'll do that. And that was kind of the environment. I mean, it was a great environment to learn real estate. And so I was very fortunate that I learned hospitality. We had you know, a lot of commercial office space. We were just developing Carillon, which uh, was 400 acres, as Jack Wilson said, in the middle of Tampa Bay. And it really was in the middle of Tampa Bay. So I learned all kinds of, from workouts to financing commercial office space to uh, the hospitality. And what that was interesting on the Grand Hyatt is Hyatt was our management company. And we went into the recession and we need to rework their management agreement, which which we did. And they said, we'll take a reduction in our management fee. You got to give us a first right of opportunity to buy if you ever sell. And that's how Hyatt owns the Hyatt. Is they bought so at what point in working through all those things at the Wilson Company did you really start to focus on the affordable component? Because you did a ton of a more affordable multifamily units. Yeah, well, yes, we progressed, and that was another another recession. Uh, and I that's why I always anybody asks me, you know, where do you learn the most in real estate? And I always say from the hard times because that is where you have all these experiences that you use later in life, but didn't realize that you're going to use them that way. And so we were in another recession. Uh, we had just finished Chase uh, to build a suit for Chase Manhattan Bank. We've finished Anchor Glass, Fountain Square, and just literally the spigot turned off. And we were like, what, what now? Because we had a pretty large commercial operating company. And so actually, as one of Jack Wilson's friends said, you need to go check out affordable housing. So we drove to Orlando and I will, I'll tell you to this day, I had the same impression. Everybody else says when they see here, affordable housing, I thought project section eight, we drove over there. We saw some of the most beautiful apartments that look just like market rate and realized this, what our, what our mind thought and what we saw were very different. 
And so I always tell people now that affordable housing is really market rate housing with an affordable rental. And the structure is based on the financing. And that's why we do it. But uh, that was in 1993. And so we were, I was very fortunate because I, I really loved that part of my career was learning affordable housing. And it is basically a program that is monitored by the IRS. So the accounting side worked out really well because it really is a bunch of accounting and finance. And uh, we did 10,000 units from 1993 to 2003. So we were very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, I say. And uh, and Jack just let me run with it. So I did. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. So in 2007 is when you established Sage Partners. Yes. And you decided that's where your heart was, was born in the affordable space and in rehabbing properties, correct? Yes, absolutely. I, uh, you know, when we were at Wilson Company, obviously, I was very fortunate to to do all the affordable housing ground up. Uh, And then I had an interim period between 2003 and 2007 where I actually was buying, uh, I'm going to say, B properties and Pinellas County with great location and um, very high barriers to entry. And I did kind of conversions and I learned all about rehab. So when Sage came around, the first deal we did was a high rise rehab, which kind of brought all those things into play, including the commercial, uh, you know, high rises that we had at Wilson Company. So uh, in 2008, put on the first deal under contract, thought, well, got a resume, got experience. And I just didn't foresee what was about to happen and uh, the Lehman crash and the Great Recession. So had to hang on to our first deal until 2009. And we did. We were the only tax credit bond deal to close in the state of Florida in 2009. And that got us started. So we were very, I mean, I will tell you at that point, I had mortgaged everything. I was down to one last draw my equity line. So, so how many, remind me, so they didn't know. <laughs> oh my God. So remind me, what was the year? How many years was that? Three or four? So, so 2007 is when we formed Sage. 08 was our first. Uh, and so 09. So basically okay. kept things afloat uh, till the middle of 2009. Uh, it was it was challenging, but I guess at the same time, you know, when you're in it, you just think, okay, what's going to happen? I just don't know which day, hopefully, <laughs> and just had a really, I think, a positive attitude about it's going to make it, and I guess willing it to the ending line. But we really were very fortunate. Bank America and PNC stepped up and said, we're going to do this deal. So I can remember those days uh, because I got started in the land business on the brokerage side. I was in and around commercial real estate before that, but I decided to say like, oh, I'm going to give up my salary job because I'm going to come and be a land broker in 2005 when the market was like screaming hot, at least down here. And it was like, you could do no wrong. And in... And I had some really early, like great deals, right? And so I got paid pretty quick, which was great, especially in retrospect. But then like when it turned, it turned. And I remember, gosh, I remember just when, like you said, when Lehman Brothers went out and what was that, 2008? It was like so painful. It was so painful. I had like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of land under contract. And it just... Every day, every week I would go in or every day and another deal would die. And I'm like, oh my, oh my God, it was bad. So I can't even imagine what it would be like as a developer in that space, knowing like the world is just sort of like crumbling around the whole market. 
as I said, I learned a lot and I learned, you know, just perseverance. I think I just remember calling and calling and, you know, hoping one day they go, okay, we're ready. But they didn't need tax credits. I mean, our our deals are financial tax credits and the banks weren't making money. So they're like, well, we, you know, like that deal, but we really don't have any need for tax credits. So finally, you know, the world started, sun was coming back out in the middle right. of 2009. And uh, and we were very fortunate to get that first first one done. And now it's almost 15 years later, <laughs> 14 isn't that, years. Isn't that crazy? So when you think back, um, you said you you almost mortgaged everything. When you think back to that part of your career in your personal life, because those are so intertwined, right? When it's your, when you're signing on that personal guarantee line, right? What was the biggest lesson that you think you learned during that time? I would say, uh, well, one, I mean, a lot of developers risk a lot, you know, to to and you know, and a lot of developers either come out the other side or maybe they don't. And uh, I, I look back and I probably didn't realize how much risk I was taking. You know, I just kept on thinking, okay, this is going to happen. And, you know, and, and I kind of knew the finances, but at the same time, I really didn't know like how this was going to end. So I, I probably now, you know, now I'm 62, I'm probably more conservative than ever. I always tell everybody, if you lend us money, I'm going to just tell you the pro formas are the most conservative numbers you've ever seen. Right. So in that, I remember trying to convince the banks like this, this deal should work. This is a pro formas. I've scrubbed it. I've had it for, you know, 18 months under contract. And I still remember them questioning and everything. I mean, whatever they wanted. I mean, they wanted longer personal guarantees. They wanted more operating reserves. You name it. I mean, our tax credit price went down. And honestly, I mean, I had zero negotiating power, none. And I just, I was like, okay, I just know I had to get the, get the deal done. And now I look back and the fact is that that was important to, you know, realize where we are in, the, in this industry and we had zero negotiating power, but we were going to get to go if we did this, this, and this, and, and which we did. And then my goal was to show them that, the numbers they underwrote us at versus what we really performed were much more on our side than theirs. But that was more of I told you so. But I would just say that I learned that it is just you just never give up and you just keep you know coming in every day and saying I'm it's going to happen it's going to happen and and I you know I feel like it was um, reputation is why we got the deal and now we're showing them you know almost 15 years later that was a good deal to do. Right. Well, and you had a great career prior to it being your own thing too, right? So you had like a whole track record to be able to say like, I know what I'm doing. I'm a, I'm experienced, uh, which we don't always see in the development space, especially when things get really hot um, last yes. couple of years in, in particular. Uh, but I think I'm sure that that helped you to a degree. Um, but, you know, I hear from a lot of women who are in the development space or want to be, they're like, Hey, funding and financing is so hard to come by. We can't get it. What was that like for you? Like, did you have any issues at all being a woman or was it really, you had so much experience that they treated you completely fairly? I would say, I mean, my track record is definitely why I got in the door and, um, you know, I've always felt like being a woman, just as long as, you know, you're performing, I, I always go at 110% of any right. competition, whether it's man or woman, yep. that, you know, you should hopefully 
continue to thrive and come out on top. You know, you got all your environmental circumstances like this great recession. But I would say that I was very lucky because I had the relationships and they knew my track record. And that is probably the only reason that deal got done was the track record in in Tampa, especially in Florida. I mean, nobody was lending money, but uh, I think the other part was that they knew how conservative I was and mm-hmm. that every, you know, our pro formas, again, every year I'm always saying, oh, I'm going to beat that. And I'm, and, and this year, this year, I don't know if I'm going to. Yeah. There's a no. lot of things out of control this year. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy um, these days. Uh, I know it's, 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 and I've been, I think this is my third cycle and it's just very interesting. You know, because mm-hmm. because you, the younger folks will say, and I'm sure you have this encounter too. What was it like when, right? And I'm like, well, this is totally different. It's different. It's not even close to being the same. Like, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Yes, I usually give them advice. I go, okay, you know, get out the ramen noodles, and I mean, you know, yeah. just get ready. And uh, I hope you, you know, saved a lot of money and keep your powder dry. And um, this time. I mean, that you know, we're in it now and we've right. I've got we have a lot of dry power and we're like, okay, now what? But I will tell you, going through each one and what you learn is, you know, oh, I mean, part of it is being at the right place at the right time. Right. And part of it is, you know, being conservative and and really making sure. So yes, and now it's like this is when we thrive. We thrive actually in these downturns. It's so. it's interesting you say that because uh after COVID sort of the veil lifted like the second quarter of 2020 here down in Florida because we really got back up to speed pretty quickly compared to the rest of the nation. Uh, For me, I could see like how crazy it was about to get. Like I could feel it. Like my phone was ringing off the hook. I had people in and out of my office and and they were telling me stories in like July of 2020. Oh yeah, we're coming to Florida because you guys were open. And I met with people who literally brought their kids to the meeting and sat them like in another spot in my office because they were coming in from another state. And they're like, yeah, we're coming down here. We're looking for houses because I can't homeschool my kids in August. So we're, we're getting them enrolled. We're all down here. And there was a lot of that. And I was like, oh my God, it's about to get crazy. And it did. But at the same time, I was freaking out because I was like, this, we can't sustain this. This is not sustainable. There's something's going to happen. And I kept preparing, you know, like my owners, Hey, the music's going to stop and Mm -hmm. nobody knows when that's going to happen. And the fed, uh, hadn't really adjusted yet. Right. And then there were rumblings of, I guess, like maybe second or third quarter of 21. Hey, these things are going to change. And I'm like, Oh my God, I knew, like, I was like, this is coming. Like I was telling landowners, I was like, listen, discount your property, get it to the closing table, get the money in your pocket. Otherwise, like these deals are going to fall apart. It just not, we can't be on this pace for much longer before there's like a major correction. It's scary. Um, but no, but you're right. You know, you but saw- at the same time, I'm like, this is the part of the market that I love the most. Cause I'm like, oh, you get all that noise away, right? All the folks who have swooped into the market to try to take advantage of whatever desire to be here. When they go away, the real players are left and you can really get deals done. And this is when I like it the most. It's stressful, but it's a different kinds of it's a different kind of stress. 
Yeah. And I think you, you know you are successful, especially in this type of market, because it is that creativity. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, this is not going to be, this is not easy. Like it was two years ago when they're all flocking, because now everyone's looking at their pro formas and, you know, what they were doing, their cap rates and their returns and now Fed. And I don't even know if they issued another increase today, but they're supposed to. Right. But that's, you know, when, when we're looking at, because our, our portfolio, we were getting unsolicited every day, these bids and right. I mean, offers. And I was like, no, no, we are long-term owners. And now everybody's, oh, you missed the market. Well, no, we didn't miss the market because we weren't looking to liquidate our portfolio. And right. so that's Great point. Yeah, we are, I mean, long-term holders and we have the ability to, you know, recycle these and and resyndicate them again in year 15, which is what we're going to do. So that's, that's what we're already looking at. Okay. You know what we're trying to project the interest rate, which nobody can obviously, but right. you know, we're thinking, okay, maybe we're peaking this year and our first um, resyndication, as you call it, is coming in 2025, January, 2025. So will we be hopefully, hopefully meeting the interest rates as they're coming back down, but that's what, that's where we are. We're looking already two years out. And, okay. and right now we are literally just, I'm going to say we're hanging on because we, like you, I really thought the world was going to end in COVID because we didn't know how it was going to happen. And I called every lender and every partner and just said, I don't know, but this is going to be bad, but I'm going to let you know everything's going on. And then of course, nothing. It was like <laughs> nothing. I mean, we got hundred percent collections and no delinquencies and there was all these government programs. So now here we are. And in, in the affordable space, I mean, demand, we just will never be able to, to satisfy the demand. So our goal is just, you know, continue rent collections, but we have, um, we cannot increase our rents unless the area mean and income goes up. Right. And so that only comes out in April. So we'll find out where they are, but our rents are about one third of market. So we, you know, we have a big demand, but because we can't increase our rents, our insurance bill, which we're having that meeting tomorrow, mm-hmm. is about to come out. And that is going to be really interesting because that number, I've heard, you know, 40 to 60% increase. Yep. And that cannot be absorbed because we can't increase our rents. So, so tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's uh, also interesting that you bring that up because I've been talking with folks. I was talking to a, um, a debt and equity mortgage guy. He places money in different deals yesterday. And I was like, hey, how are you guys bracing for like the insurance stuff? Because I'm hearing like 40% mm-hmm. for anything. And he's like, yeah, we're kind of freaking out. He really didn't have a good answer for me, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah, no, I think everybody's just holding their breath and then seeing, okay. I mean, we've already looked and said, well, it's going to be what it's going to be. And so we just have to manage. I mean, that's a fixed expense, real estate tax, a fixed expense. So, and, and our variable expenses aren't that much. So we just right. know it's, 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 you know, it's going to be a haircut uh, to our NOI and we'll just get through it until 2025. Yeah. <laughs> and I, hope can... I don't know what's going to happen, you know, next year, maybe, maybe I, I never see insurance rates go down. So that's the other thing. And all of these cycles, you get right. the bump, but you never see it. Yeah. Deep. You know, I say that about other commodities too, like lumber and, and steel and concrete. And cause people will say like, oh my God, it's so much higher. And I'm like, it'll come down, but it's not going to come down to where it was. It right. never does. 
It right. never does. It it will go way high and then it'll come down like, you know, 70% of that high yeah. point. But I'm like, right. it's still up 40% yes. <laughs> year right. from where we were a year ago. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yes. That's, um, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. So I, I always tilt my hat to developers and folks like you because I walk around and I'm like, I, people ask me a lot. They're like, why aren't you in development? You're married to a civil engineer. And I'm like, um, because it's risky enough for me to be a land broker. I don't need any more risk than that. And because I did a lot of bank workout stuff and REO stuff in the earliest part of my brokerage career in like, you know, 2009 and 10, and I was like front and center, like I saw it all. And I was like, holy cow, I'm not going to be a developer. It's so much risk. I can't, can't handle it. I, I tilt my hat to you because I don't know how you do it. Well, thank you. No, I and I I mean, I am so lucky because what I do for a living, I really don't feel like it's work because of affordable housing for all the different real estate aspects I could be in. I'm so fortunate to be in something that I love and I think I make an impact to a lot of people's lives. So so I'm very fortunate to be a developer in in this niche. In that space. So tell me a little bit about you mentioned the project that you did uh that was more a uh rehabilitation project. I believe you did a ground up as well. And down is the one in downtown Tampa that was ground up, correct? Yes. That one was interesting because we bought a historic, uh, very historic uh, black church that we restored and saved it because it was going to be probably maybe demoed. And uh, so that one I'm calling once in a career uh, opportunity to buy that church, restore it, tell the story of, you know, all the civil rights uh, movements that happened there and the famous people like Dr. Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Thurgood Marshall. I mean, so many. And I I just felt, oh my gosh, here's an opportunity to do one. I love historic rehab, historic rehab, save an asset for the city of Tampa and tell the story for future generations. So I was like, oh my God, this is the best ever. And then we basically took the parking lot, which is a little bit less than an acre and built 120 new affordable housing units with uh, 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 two levels of deck parking. So mid-rise, downtown, beside a historic church, which is now the uh, basically community center for the children and the residents of Metro 510. That's so cool. And everything has completely changed around that project since you did it. It's like remarkable. Like you don't even recognize it anymore. Oh yeah. Now we, we were kind of in on the fringe when we right. did that in 2010. And I still remember that. I don't know if you remember this, but why did we name it Metro 510? Because the Metro line was it's coming. Right I mean, that was going to be the stop right. of the high speed rail. And I just remember uh, somebody said, oh, well, that's not for sure. I go, no one is ever going to give that money back to the federal government. That is where it's going to be. And we're going to name it Metro 510. And then I couldn't have been more wrong because the money went back to the federal government. I think it went to California and um, no high-speed rail. And yeah, it's it's interesting. My um, One of my first jobs in Tampa, you'll love this, two facts about me, uh, was with a uh, geotechnical engineering firm called Nadarcy. I worked for a female engineer who had like five locations across the state. She, uh, we started off with in an office in the middle of what's now Midtown on Arch Street, right? Yes. So whenever I talk to the guys at Bromley, I'm like, oh yeah, like my first job in Tampa was in the middle of your parking deck. Um, you guys tore the building down. My second location with her, because she bought a building, was on Tyler Street, right downtown. Yes. 
right? I know and exactly. I remember telling her before I got into brokerage, we should buy everything around us because I could just feel the change. Mm-hmm. It was like, and that was in, gosh, that had to be in like 2003. Right. Yes. You know, and I, I think, I think back about like redoing that office and having our ground, our grand opening and being really close to the bus stop and just, you know, that neighborhood so changed. And then I got into brokerage and I was like, man, I was onto something. I should, I really should have went back and bought like everything I could touch in that area. Cause it's so different now. It's crazy. It, it, yeah. And it continues. It's, it's very exciting. Cause I was just on a call, like a downtown group. And I mean, the people are not just from Tampa. I mean, they're from New Jersey. I mean, people are coming all over buying land in downtown Tampa. Yep. And of course it's, uh, downtown i think just yesterday i saw this article of like the the top neighborhoods in the country top 100 and downtown tampa's in the top 100 neighborhoods in the yeah. country to live i went oh my gosh downtown tampa because you know you think okay because hyde park was in there and palmacia but downtown tampa to hit that benchmark and recognition and i go well, you know we have made something in downtown tampa and of course it's not us i mean it's all the other development but right. we are the only I call it true affordable housing in the central core uh, right. of downtown Tampa. And that's to me, what was it was about was that we could give housing to people who work downtown. And I think that's so important. And hopefully we're going to do more of that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So talk to me a little bit about um, when you're looking at an, an affordable deal. Talk to me about some of the complexity of putting that deal together with the state. I, I have lived just so you know, um, and and folks here joining us today, I have closed, I think, eight tax credit deals in my career. They all take way more time than what anybody anticipates. They're always the highest and best use. Um, or at least my experience has been that. Um, but they're challenging. So tell me from the developer's perspective what that's like to go through the process. Well, especially when you're in the hot land market, it was very difficult because you were trying to convince a landowner to hang on because you don't want to, and this is me personally, I did not want to take land down until we were ready to close, which means you went through that state process. You went through all the zoning and everything. So that's why, like I said, we thrive in the counter cyclical world because it's a lot easier when there's a lot of landowners and not that many buyers and that's where we thrive. But uh, to give you an example of that, that church, the church was interesting because we had a state cycle. This was in 2000, yeah, 2009, January 2010. And we told them there's only one cycle a year. And so we we got to close this and the application is due and they go, oh, we can't sell this, you know, in that period of time or put under contract. And so I said, well, you know, it was like, I think nine o'clock at night, application is due the next day in Tallahassee. And we get a call from the broker and he says, okay, they're ready to sell. And I remember, because we were also putting together the other application for across the street, which was Methodist Place, Vista 400. And I said, okay. I said, well, where do you want to meet you? He said, I still remember this under the street light across from the church on, uh, at the time, my business partner, now my husband's Todd's truck, we signed that contract and it was like 1130 at night and we stayed up all night. I had to go to city council next morning and ask for uh, $200,000 at eight o'clock. I had not slept all night. 
I we got they said yes to the CRA. Todd wow. drove the application to Tallahassee, and we were very fortunate because we did get funded on that. But that's how close. So I think you know your oh question deals together. I mean, it is again tenacity and all those things, but trying to convince you know especially these landowners that you know why why go to contract with us versus. A, B, and C. And we try to tell them about our track record. You know, I mean, I've been lucky because I've closed 39, yeah, 39 tax credit deals. So we're able to say that, you know, when we go in, but that's not even like today's even different. Back now today, if you went in for city of Tampa or Hillsborough County, there's only one per county per year. And that's a real big lift to do that. So that's why people are looking at the alternative financings like bonds and things like that. But, but it's still, it's, it, people are closing deals and, and it's still out there. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it is a very hot topic. I think globally speaking, especially in markets that have been slightly undervalued like ours, the Tampa market, we've caught up to where we really should be. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. we might be a little bit out over our skis tips in terms of, valuations, but we're now, we know we created this ourselves. We were like, Hey, hey, look at us. Now we have everyone looking at us. They're all coming in. It's a real problem, affordable, attainable workforce housing. I know that you've served on state boards and local boards. What do you think we're going to be able to solve this? Like I'm, I'm actually worried for like the next generation because affordable and even workforce is not what it used to be. I mean, these are these are multifamily units or residential units that for all intents and purposes, like I would have lived in at the same age, you know, maybe you would right. have lived in because we, yeah, we had good jobs. Yeah. And, and qualified. And, and that's what, yeah. I, and again, I see, so I'll just, so affordable is 60% of AMI, air median income and less. And our air median income for Tampa Bay MSA is 82,000. So just to give you like benchmark. So, and then the workforce is, I call it 60 to 120 or 140 AMI. And that's what they call the missing middle. And I am truly at, at every level from zero to, to 140 concerned of how are we going to fill those those needs. And that's why, you know, you see the the basically you go to where you can qualify and that's Pasco and it's, you know, South County and Manatee. And but we need to keep our workforce in in Hillsborough County in Tampa Bay. And that is why um thank goodness now it used to be a bad word affordable housing was a bad word but now it's it's like on the top of everybody's political agenda so i truly believe we're going to make strides but are we ever going to i'm going to say meet the need i i don't i, I think it's just physically impossible so we just got to do our best though i think that's the thing i'm never going to say well we should just stop because we're never going to get there we just every year, and that's why like the state and what they're doing this year, hopefully is going to get passed at the mm-hmm. Senate Bill 102. That is, we will, if that passes, Florida will have the landmark legislation that every other state will want. And we will get more units. And it, it is, it's all production. And it's keeping every unit that we put out there, this is my soapbox, is keeping it affordable for as long as possible. And it's not 10 years, 15 years. I mean, Hot Hills HFA does perpetuity. And I think you just, you have to do that because you lose the units as much as you're putting on, you're losing. Right. So you want to keep, you know, when, when you, especially the cities and counties, when they give subsidy, they need to say it needs to be affordable for a long time. But 
I don't think we're ever going to ever make it balance, but I think we're going to make a dent in it. Right. And well, we I hope so. And I'll tell time. you, um, I think the closer you are into the urban core, whether that's like downtown Tampa or Tampa specifically, or even St. Pete, I feel like the approach to affordable workforce, attainable housing is very different than it is when you get out in further out counties that may be more secondary or tertiary. There's mm -hmm. affordable housing or workforce housing is still in a lot of those people's minds, dirty word. And it really frustrates me as a land broker because a lot of times I'm working on what I would consider a market rate deal. There mm -hmm. is no, there's no credits, there's no subsidies. It is a market rate deal. And because it's multifamily, the residents or the nearby neighbors will say, we don't want affordable housing. And I'm like, that's not affordable housing. That rent's going to be, you know, $1,500, a two bedroom apartment. That's not affordable. Right. That's it's like the people that are saying we don't want it. They could qualify to move in there. And and right. always, you know, your children, we always try to many times we would bring to city council someone who lived there, you know, to put I call the face, you know, I mean, it'd be a teacher or it'd be, a, you know, a nurse or somebody. They say, so this is who you don't want in, in your neighborhood. These are the people that take care of you, that teach your children. And they go, well, yeah, but that's I mean, it is it is unfortunately like multifamily period is in yes. a lot of neighborhoods a, a, a bad word and it is it's unfortunate because everybody's like oh no we're going to close the gates you know we moved here and no more people move here right I'm like no we live in a great place right we live somewhere that is desirable and mm -hmm. the secret is out we we <laughs> tooted our horn everybody knows it now the projects that got built both in Tampa and in St. Pete have gotten international recognition, it's no longer a secret. So the money will continue to pour. People want to be here, but we do have to make sure that we're taking care of the needs of the folks who a live here and that will continue to move here. Um, so I, I appreciate your passion and your soapbox and I'm always there to like help and say like, how can I help? So I'm going to make this offer to you before I forget. If you ever uh, need somebody at a public hearing, to speak in favor, let me know. I'll be happy to come out and, oh, and oh. put my two words where our passions lie. Uh, because it's it's frustrating for me to see projects get a bad rap when really they are incredibly needed. And I'm, I'm hopeful that you said, you know, I think we're going to make a dent. Uh, you know, we have a long way to go. And mm -hmm. I feel like we have to create some either new incentives or new programs or there there needs to be some additional new energy focusing on making sure that we provide housing for all. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do see, I mean, the county started setting aside some money in their general fund and in the city of Tampa. And I feel like you've got to continue that. And I'll just say one more thing on zoning and planning that, you know, I'm, I'm all about not maximum densities, but minimum densities, because we only have so much land as you know, from land brokerage and that we need to maximize when we are 100%. building and that is going to be critical. Uh, another way to solve this is is to when when we can build that we build at the maximum, not the minimum two minimum densities, not maximum densities. Yeah, I actually had breakfast with someone this morning, and they were talking about an area in our market and the number of units coming from a multifamily perspective. And and this is somebody in our world, right? Mm -hmm. Who's like, oh my god, it's too many units. Traffic's going to be too bad. And I was like. Um, if you're going to put that density anywhere, that's like the best place to put it. It's the mm -hmm. best place to put it. And I'm like, 
it was somebody relatively young, under 30. And I was like, actually, you know, like you want the density to be where the infrastructure is and where it can sustain it and where there's bus routes and where there's transportation opportunities to go not only downtown, but to the airport and over St. Pete, like you, you want it there. Like, why, why are you telling me exactly that this is a bad thing? And it turned out that they grew up in a nearby neighborhood. And so they're getting caught up in the whole, like, we don't want that. And I'm like, you're in the business. Exactly. Yeah. No, it is educating. And then finally when they see it and they go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Cause it is, it's all transportation and proximity you know, to jobs and hopefully they won't even, they can walk to work and they won't even need to get in their car Right is, you know, a goal. Uh, So, but I'm with you. It's trying to just look at what we have and maximize uh, our opportunities to build at every level. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm glad that we agree on that. Okay. So I'd love to ask uh, a couple of fun questions sometimes. when you look back, because you've done so much over the course of your career, what's your favorite deal that you ever worked on? Oh, well, I probably already told you that, but um, but I'll tell you a little more. So, so obviously, as Metro Five Ten, the uh, historic church, and again, I think. Well, I will just tell you one story. So, we're doing the grand opening, and it is the you know this is the the church where we took the sanctuary and made it now like the community center. And we got all these speakers and, you know, it's Mayor Buckhorn and everybody. And I had asked uh, Senator Joyner to come because she was representing our district, but she had not responded. So I'm up there introducing people. And all of a sudden she walks in. I was like, oh my gosh, Joyner's here. So, but this gives me chill buttons to tell you. So she got up there and she spoke about the day that she met there at that church for, this is like 1965 and walked over to the Woolworth counter to be served. That is where they met. That is again, part of the whole civil rights movement was nice. right there in that church. And there was somebody standing there who did it. And you think about the courage it took and, and, you know, the impact. And so I guess, because that, you know, is multifamily and it's affordable and all that, but then to basically dovetail that with something so historic I just feel is definitely probably my proudest moment. <laughs> That's an awesome story. I did not know that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know it might be the same answer, uh, same same project, uh, because you mentioned signing the contract in your in your partner's truck late at night, but you might have a different answer. So I'm going to ask this question. Um, what is the strangest thing you have ever encountered on any of your deals? Oh, strangest. I, okay. It's unusual. It's un, well, it was not that deal. I would say unusual. Well, it's probably like one of my biggest battles of trying to get an affordable housing approved. It was an Oldsmar. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it was uh, obviously very contentious. We had a people ran on their election campaign to, to kill our deal. And they had a midterm election, like special election. So we knew, and I just remember this was, and let me think about this year, 2001. And I said, you know what, this is it. I'm going, I'm going to go down in flames, but we are not giving up. And I was very fortunate that I had a friend in Tallahassee and I called her and I said, this is what's going on. And this is not right. They are trying to stop us only because of who they said lives there. This is fair housing. She goes, I got you somebody. She goes, I'm giving you the most prominent fair housing attorney in the country. 
I said, okay. She says, I'm going to make the introduction. He just won the Denny's case. He won all these landmark cases. He worked for the Department of Justice and then went on his own. I called him up. I said, this is what's going on. He goes, oh my goodness. He goes, I'll be down tomorrow. He flew down from DC. I gave him all the background. He goes, I feel so strongly about this. I am going to write the lawsuit for you. And you are going to give a complimentary copy to all of those city council members. And it basically says, if you violate fair housing, you are personally liable. And I said, okay, I'm in. And I did. I gave it all to the city council members. And they, <laughs> I would luckily, you know, a couple of days later, they had a special council meeting. In the middle of the previous meeting, a woman who was from the neighborhood was so mad that she was in her Ford Explorer and gunned it and tried to run me over as I was leaving the meeting. And I was like, wow, that's pretty close. Um, but again, the great part about the story was that I was very fortunate to have this major civil rights attorney take on our deal. And that was the turning point. And so they proved it. And then they came to our groundbreaking. They came to our grand opening and they said this was the best thing they'd ever seen. But in the middle of it, it, it was the biggest battle and probably the most interesting for me because it was all the wrong reasons they were trying to deny it. But, you know, finally we had to fight might with might. And and I, in fact, future deals, I used that. I said, let me just explain what happened. I said, this is not a threat. This is just education. I um, I, I love the fact that you be, you came out victorious, right? And that you said, this is a tool that I can use, right? Awesome. Um, some people know this about me. Some of my listeners don't know me as well because they're not in the local market, but I'm always about like ripping the band-aid off, you know, and just saying like, you can't, you can't do this. Like I'm a huge property rights person, like mm -hmm. huge. Um, if I, I don't have any tattoos, but if I ever got a tattoo, it would probably say like property rights or some saying about property right. rights on it because right. I just believe it to my core. Mm -hmm. So I, again, like that's, that's an awesome story. And I'm really glad that you were able to take it full circle. And I'm glad that you were able to get them at the end, even though they were so contentious to be supportive and to be able to look at a project like that and say, you know what, we were, we were wrong. And maybe they didn't say that out loud, but to be able to show up publicly is an admittance of, I was coming at this from the wrong direction. So that's awesome. Awesome win. No, thank you. No. And they did. They actually told me, they said, you know, this was something that we probably were not in the right on. And I'm, you know, they totally, I'm glad you gave us that long <laughs> so they could vote the way that I think in their hearts, they were feeling it, but they had this crowd, the monster. Yeah. So, but Ugh. it was really, it was definitely my most unusual. Deal. And I'm glad you shared it with me because I, I have another deal that is very contentious going for rezoning. Well, it's not even rezoning. It's zoned, has a land yeah. use and it's not affordable housing. It's multifamily. Um, as a component of the overall project, this big project, and neighbors are really fighting it. And um, what they're saying in public settings is just so, it's just so off-putting and so wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I wonder if any of those arguments are violating fair housing. I think they are, but I have to go back and like, look at what they're saying in the public setting. Yes, Nobody's yes, using yes. it for election purposes. It's like committee, uh, citizens. Yes. But it's like educating those folks who are going to be voting on that project. Like, hey, be careful here. This is a very, you know, important area not to get yourself into trouble. Right. Yeah. No, because this was zone. Same thing. I mean, it, we were just basically getting trying to get site plan approval. I mean, it had all the there was no approvals that it lacked other than site plan. So, yes, I could probably 
find that complimentary copy for you. Yeah. Of the loss. <laughs> love, it. love it. I'm like, let's go fight. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, I love all these stories. Um, and I could talk to you forever. I'm such a huge fan. Um, but I do have three final questions for you at the end of every podcast. So don't get stressed. Um, I do say like they're rapid questions, but they're not yeah. really rapid. Everyone takes their time answering them. Okay. So these are easy. Um, you've touched on most of them and not all, uh, but I'm going to ask them again. Okay. So if a young person, I usually say a young woman because the majority of our listeners are women, but not all. I have a lot of young men that listen to and older folks. Uh, but if somebody were to say, Hey, I want to become a developer, uh, but I'm not quite where, know where to start, or I don't know, like, how do I take the next step in my career? Is there a piece of advice that you could give me? What would you tell them? I would tell them to obviously do their homework and find, I'm going to call it the developer or two or three developers that they would admire most. And, and again, that's not just what they built, but the person. Because I think, I mean, that's why I contribute you know, a lot of my career to Jack Wilson, because that was the person that I was very fortunate to associate myself with, but get in the door and it doesn't matter at what level. I mean, I took a pay cut in public accounting to go to Wilson company and that was the best pay cut I ever took. So I would say it's not about money. It's about the right company and the, and the person or persons at the top. And you and I will tell any young person, they can call me. I'll help them get indoors because that's what I do mostly now. That's, I try to help young people, you know, in their careers and I'll help anybody that needs that help. Yeah, I, I say the same thing. If a young person calls me, I'm really quick to say, here's my not Rolodex, but who? what is it that you think you want to do? Let me pair you with a few folks. If you're exploratory and you don't really know, like I'll give you a, a you know, hodgepodge of folks to talk to. But if you really know, like I'm going to try to open up doors for you because even though I got into brokerage mid-career, I was 35 when I started as a land broker. There were people who helped me before that, during that, since then that helped make me have the career that I have. And I have an obligation to pay that forward to other folks. Absolutely. And I know you do. You're always there and volunteering. And I mean, I, I, I don't know how you probably don't sleep. That's probably how you can do it. Um, you know, it's but. funny because um, now that my kids are out of the house, I I don't know how I did it even like 10 years ago. I'm like, I don't, when did I do all this stuff? Because now I'm tired and I'm like, oh, I did all this other stuff. But I am getting to a point where I'm like, I'm much more selective. You know, yeah. I met with somebody recently and they were like, expressing to me how hard it is for them to tell people no. And they were like, I'm exhausted and I'm burnt out. And, you know, I have this and I have that and I have that. And I, and I took the person's hand and I said, you have to focus on ROI. But ROI, you and only you can define that. Mm -hmm. But it can't be everyone else's ROI. It has to be your own. Right. And if that's volunteering because you get some personal satisfaction out of helping somebody who you want to help, that's, that's a form of our, you know, of return, mm -hmm. but you can't be everywhere because you will kill yourself. That's why you're burned out. You're saying yes too much and you have to start saying no. And that's a hard muscle to work and to continuously work because people don't like hearing the word no. And as women in particular, we don't like saying the word no. So it's, it's my biggest issue, but I'm, 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 Right now, forcing myself. You're getting to, better. You're getting better. I'm getting you told better. me no. I'm getting better. This morning. Only because, only because I'm, you know, going to be a grandma. So that's why. That's why. But I realized 
I hardly ever say no, but that is one thing I think as women, you know, we are, we want to be everything to everybody. And, you know, most of the time we try and hopefully succeed, but now I've realized, and this is not even a question you asked me, but I'm just going to tell you that I realize now, you know, where I am in life and, uh, with the twins coming, I am like, I'm, I'm there. And I, I and it's, it's, it's hard to say no, but I'm using that as my kind of. Deborah, you, you have earned the right to say no <laughs> to folks like me, where they're like, Hey, will you be on the speaking panel? And you're like, I am honored you've asked, but I want to spend my time doing something else. You've earned that more than earned that. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really am trying. <laughs> yes. And I love it. Okay. So next uh, quick question is, is there a book or a podcast, or uh, an influencer, or anyone that you follow that you think is worthy of other people reading or checking out? Well, then I'm going to admit to you, just like I said, <laughs> I, I, my time, I should be more, I think, open to doing podcasts. Actually, my son, Jack, who you know, he is the one giving me podcasts. And it's interesting, the ones he's giving right now, uh, have nothing to do with careers or real estate. It's about like organic farming on it. We have a farm in Alabama. Yeah. And so I'm all about, I, I know this has nothing to do with real estate, but that is what I, where I am right now is I am learning. I'm, I'm, we have bees and honey and I see them die. And I, so I'm, I'm totally against any, we never use pesticides, but right. really how we can take the land back to natural grasses and things like that. So these are the podcasts I'm listening to. <laughs> and so well, is, there, is there one that you think we should check out that you love that you yeah, can think off the I top was, of your head? I was going to say, I see he just hands Amy. He literally, he knows me, just send me the link. And I literally right. list, I'm not even like, who is this person? Because Jack's already vetted them. So right. I would like to, I probably, there's one individual, his name is Dr. Woods. He's out of Missouri. And he is like this expert in, basically taking your land back without any, you know, again, fertilizer, no fertilizer, no pesticide, nothing. And so um, actually we may even have them come to our farm to consult us because that's how committed we are to executing this. So I, I think as I now step back, I'm big into, obviously I want to make an impact on affordable housing, but you know, what can I do to make an impact on the environment and learning and sharing that? So, so yeah, my podcast- I love that. Uh, I'm going to find his podcast. I'll make sure that there's a link to it. And I will also tell you a little fun fact. Uh, Last year in 2022 was the first time I sold a a piece of land for a bee apiary (gasps) up in Hernando County, 40 acres. I will reach out to that guy and say, hey, I have somebody I want to introduce you to that is working with some bees and honey up in Alabama. Think you guys might have some things in common because he might have some resources for you too. Um, I he, love it was that. amazing. It was like a farming loan, put the deal together. It was super stressful because I don't think this guy had a lot of money, but he had been doing like uh, honey and a beehive, uh, I guess preservation and growth. I don't even know like all the right terms <laughs> on like two acres. And he was so busy. He said he was telling me he takes these beehives, these big beehives and he ships them all over the United States mm-hmm. in communities that because there have been such heavy use of pesticides that there's no bee population. And so they have right. to like bring them back. Yes. Yes. And Which is, I, I, mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. 
Oh yeah, these beehives go all over because they need them to pollinate. I mean, everything from your know, citrus groves to all your different uh, fruit-bearing trees. And because you're right, I mean that is, and it is a business now. Yeah, it to, was interesting because he said I got started doing the honey, mm-hmm. but the business and what pays me money is the hive portion yeah. of his business. And I was like, I've never heard of this. Yeah, it was really cool, really cool deal. Um, it was fun to kind of learn and I need to follow up with him because it's been a long enough that he's probably got a pretty good, you know, he's probably working on an establishment at this point. Right. I think it closed. Oh gosh. I think first quarter of last year. So I'll have to like find out, find out how he's doing. And if, oh, I, I, I know. I love, love to be, love to talk to him because uh, it's another facet that I'm learning. Yeah, it sounded like he sort of just kind of stumbled into it a little bit. But he was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm doing this like farming loan. And I was like, all right, let's go. And he had a lot of help, like people around him that kind of like rallied around him on the deal. He was just the buyer. I were the seller. But it was interesting for me. Anyway. Okay. Finally, last question. Okay. Are you active? And and I think I know this answer, but are you active anywhere online or social media or like LinkedIn or anything that if people wanted to keep up with you or your projects that they could check out? Okay, this is an interesting answer. Uh, so I have LinkedIn, and I'm—I I mean, I—I I pretty much anybody who wants to link me in, I will accept you. <laughs> I probably—that's probably maybe not a judicious way of doing that, but uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook. I'm very closed on that one, uh, only because the ones I post are really about like family and my dad, who's 88. That is his way of kind of like getting embraced with what the family's doing. So I do that. Uh, It's interesting. Sage partners, because I've been so like, you know, we kind of have a reputation. So you, if you want to see Sage partners, you will go to Metro 510 or Vista 400. But Sage partners doesn't even have a website, which people go, well, I couldn't find you on the website. I go, no, but you can go to any of our communities. So um, I, I would say probably the best way would be LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, perfect. Perfect. Fair enough. Um, I want to thank you for joining me here today. I'm really very pleased and really happy that you said yes to share your story, your career journey. Um, and I, I'm always so excited when I see you in, in public places and at different real estate meetings in Tampa. You've made a huge contribution to our industry and to our region Uh, And I just want to thank you for that. So thanks for being here and thank you for all you do. Well, thank you for having me and I can't wait to listen. (laughs) All right. Awesome. We'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. If you enjoyed today's show, please go out and rate us so that we can be found by other women in our industry. And if you know women who are working in land and development, please share this podcast with them. And if you know a total rock star woman, badass chick who is killing it in land and development anywhere in North America, I want to know who she is. Please reach out to me so that I can feature her on an upcoming episode.